0: Hello, I'm Josh Starmer, and welcome to Human Stories and AI with StackQuest and Lightning AI. In this series, we'll hear about the career journeys of passionate AI experts. From their humble beginnings to conquered challenges, we'll be inspired by the real-world experiences of professionals thriving in the ever-evolving AI landscape. Human Stories and AI is brought to you by Lightning AI. Code together, prototype, train, and deploy AI web apps all from your browser with zero setup. Personally, I love Lightning AI because it makes it super easy to use and learn from the StatQuest coding tutorials. Just go to the webpage, click on the Run button, and bam, you get code that you can play with without downloading anything or installing any packages. Today, we have special guest Achil Dixit, a data scientist at Delivery, the largest fully integrated logistics services in India. Achal solves problems using data, statistics, and machine learning with a focus on business and people. Before Delivery, Achal was a business technology analyst at ZS, and before that, Achal was a research assistant at Imperial College London. So, without further ado, Achal, can you tell us about your journey to where you are right now,
1: Delivery? How did this all start? I've been always intrigued by the field of computer science since I was a kid, uh-huh. So, even even though when I was in school. So I, I had that in mind that so I had to do something with ML or AI when I kind of venture into kid, whether it's academics or in industry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it was pretty much clear for me in the beginning, but I didn't know how to do that. Okay. So the best advice I got from my teachers, from my parents, it was just to pursue computer science because doing engineering in computer science has been the most uh, i would say straightforward path for anyone in india as okay. of now so a okay. lot of folks are enthusiastic and they are looking forward to pursuing engineering specifically in computer science because okay. uh, we all know it's a field that's booming not only with not only in like monetary and fiscal terms but also in kind of the innovation that we keep seeing every day that's true so that has been a pinnacle for everyone so mostly it started in first year. I okay. got into an engineering college and uh, rather an institute. So <clears throat> it started with me doing pursuing bachelor's in computer science. I took some mathematical course, but the if I have to pinpoint at one thing that uh, started my journey towards data science and statistics uh-huh. was the moment that COVID hit.
0: Oh really? Okay. Yes. Tell me about that.
1: So. What happened is uh, lockdowns were announced nationwide. Yes. So we had a lot of uh, kind of a lot of migration from uh, offices to home, from schools to home. So similarly for us, also all our uh, teaching went online, all our studying went online.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I got a, So I have been I have been really passionate about doing things. So in the, putting in terms of RL, I would say it's like exploration versus exploitation dilemma. Okay. So what I, it's, it's a simple thing where you explore with N coefficient and N minus Delta times, you exploit what you have, whatever you have learned.
0: Okay. So, so you're, you're learning just one step ahead of how you're, of, of, and you're exploring and then you have tools and, you, and, and you can use those tools to do new things and new exciting things.
1: Exactly. That's how yeah. I would define my thought process behind learning and doing yeah. things. It's like I learn and I quickly move the coefficients around for uh-huh. my N and for my delta. Uh-huh. So I, then I exploit with N and yeah. explore with delta. Yeah. So that's how I would put it. So what happened is I, I was very enthusiastic as a student to participate in hackathons. Okay. Because they, they are challenging. They kind of, I like to take challenges and solve them in 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 ways that, I don't know, it's just just fun for me. It's like a puzzle. It's like a kid solving a puzzle. So that has always been the case for me.
0: I love it. I, I have a confession to make. I find nothing more intimidating and scary and frightening and I have nightmares about hackathons. There's just... I'm, my hands are sweating just thinking about it. So it's it's actually cool that I'm talking to you as someone who's like, I love
1: hackathons. <laughs> <laughs> they scare me to death. <laughs> okay, so I have I have participated in a couple of them. And yeah. it was the MIT COVID-19 hackathon, which started the whole uh, research. I, ideally, I got into research because of that. Uh-huh. And From research, I got into data science and a job. So yeah. let's take one thing at a time. So yeah. I so i met with a couple of researchers from university of michigan okay. so they are a very good friend of mine and we all decided to participate in this hackathon organized by mit okay and there i slowly realized like how clinicians actually use statistics okay what was the problem you were
0: working on can you can you describe yes. that
1: yes so the problem that uh, we were working on was kind of uh, predicting the icu times okay how much time a patient would be blocking an ICU for, because there was a huge queue. If we yep. go back to 2020, there was a huge queue for patients lined up to get admitted to ICUs. Yeah. So we started from solving that problem, but we ended up solving another problem. What <laughs> we did was, <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, isn't that the way it always is? <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: And it was so much fun for me. And it was such a great learning experience because I yeah. was able to see firsthand how the clinical data looks like. Yeah. So how the clinical data looks like, how researchers and statisticians uh, are, yeah. specifically clinicians look at that data and make use of that data. Yeah. So we had demographies, we had symptoms, we had data on symptoms, demography, and uh, previous comorbidities of the patients. So mm-hmm. they were all lined up and we simply ran a logistic regression. We okay. wanted to predict yeah. if you were to be sick from COVID, yeah. how sick you would be, yeah, whether it will be severe for you or not.
2: Okay. That makes so, sense.
1: So, given your comorbidities, symptoms, and your previous background, all these attributes, we were able to predict with uh, pretty good accuracy and uh, kind of other metrics that oh, love if, you, if you were to catch COVID, how bad it would be. Yeah. So you need to take more precautions. Yes. So that's the end goal of it, and then we ended up kind of publishing that whole research into one of the very good journals, the American oh. Journal of Emergency Medicine.
0: Oh, awesome! That's fantastic.
1: So, so that was the first publication I got, and I was in my second year. That's amazing. Uh, I, yes. Can, can I ask a question? <laughs> yes. How many people participated in this
0: hackathon?
1: So over 800 people participated, I guess, and we won that hackathon as well. And you won it.
0: Out of 800 people, a second-year student with your team won the hackathon.
1: Yes. I mean, most of the work, like on the research side, was done by my friends who are scholars at University of Michigan. Uh, Uh Charles, thank you. Uh I mean, if you're seeing this. (laughs) so that's one thing and uh, yeah so that got me into research and I was really excited that okay this is research it's problem solving because I had a very different idea about research and data science machine learning or or surrounding subjects being in computer science I was like okay it's it kind of seems intimidating boring probably probably it was kind of make uh, once you go into research you feel anxious yes but to me it seemed like okay you have a problem you solve it you yeah. give you proofs that you solved it. It's research. That's it. Bam. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was I was, like, okay, so whatever I've learned so far, how can yeah. I exploit it to probably f- do more research on yeah. the similar topics that I have done? And that's how I got really v- very interested in uh, research and research. Okay. okay. So that's how data science became the center of my interest and something that I really wanted to pursue. Because for me, being a computer science student, it was two things were very simple. That I had that core technical understanding. I had programming uh, experience. I had my technical side, pretty fundamentals pretty strong. So I can virtually enter into any domain at that point and make use and exploit my tools and learnings In order to make some progress in that field. Yes. And I just love the fact that the interdisciplinary approach that we have in terms of using statistics and data science. Yes. And AI, it was so good. So that's how I ended up. And then later on, I took officially the course of machine learning through my third year in Mm -hmm. engineering Mm -hmm. and there also we got a project but i take my project seriously as i said i love hackathons (laughs) i ended up doing a couple of uh i I started with literature review i read a lot of papers and that's how i found that okay i can solve one problem and the problem being there's a gray area when when clinicians diagnose heart failure okay so there's a gray area because the metric that they use to define heart failure is called ejection fraction. Say that again? Ejection fraction. So how much blood does the ventricle pumps out of the heart?
0: Got it. That makes exact sense. Okay, got it now. Yes. Yeah.
1: But the but this metric has a flaw that they don't know how to classify the ejection fraction between 40 to 50, or let's say 35 to 45. So it is it is considered a gray area. And I found this just by reading a lot of literature on it. And then I thought, okay, can we, can we, Solve this if I have good enough data. Okay. And by chance I got a good data set from one of the physio net websites which it hosts open data sets. You just need to cite them if you use.
0: That's a, so you, what so what you're telling me is there was just a public data set that you could just download and play with on your own. You didn't have to you didn't have to like network with a bunch of cardiologists or anything. No. You could just get this data set and just start seeing what you could do.
1: Yes. Okay. So I, I figured out, okay, so by, uh, in, back, in the, uh, back in the course, the goal was to kind of just build a machine learning model that does a classification. But I took a different approach. I went like, okay, let me go ahead. If I'm doing it, why not solve a real problem?
2: Okay. Oh, wow. I love it. <laughs>
1: so I went ahead, did a lot of literature review. Somehow I gained a good enough knowledge of uh, a little bit about, a little bit knowledge on cardiology as well. Like okay. How they diagnose, how the prognosis is. Yeah. So I listed the attributes. I went down, I did a nice exploratory analysis. Uh-huh. And I figured that there were some features that were highly correlated with uh, how the gray area looks like. Okay. And hence, I was able to use some AI techniques like active learning and semi-supervised learning to classify that gray area into primary types, whether less than 40 or more than 50, which is heart failure with reserved ejection fraction and a heart failure with preserved ejection fraction.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And I titled the paper, Demystifying Heart Failure with Mid-Range Ejection Fraction.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And? And I, I I published it in one of the IEEE scoped uh, conferences, which is computing in cardiology. It's a pretty old conference, like 48th or 49th computing in cardiology yeah. conference. I got really good feedback that, okay. And it, to me, I don't know, it was simple because
2: yeah.
1: I was able to find a problem. Yeah, I was able to quantify what methodology I know that I can use yeah. to solve that problem. Yeah. And then I just needed to do experiments. Yeah. So okay. that's another paper in my <laughs> Hard that I just got because I was simply interested
0: and this is your third year, so yes. you're in your third year you've got two publications yes I mean this is pretty amazing right
1: i mean uh, it's just it's just me being curious, so I think I was genuinely interested in the subject, and things yeah. kept aligning for myself i somehow i got lucky, I read right papers, found right problems to solve, I would say.
0: I, can I ask a question? So, when you were experimenting with different methods to analyze this data, did you kind of know specific methods you wanted to try, uh, or did you were you just like, "Well, I've got a whole bag of methods; I'm just going to try them all"? What was that process like?
1: Actually, I was uh, from. If I look at it, look at that problem again from mm-hmm. uh, from where I am now. Yeah, I was quite immature. I did not know what a parametric test is, what a non-parametric test is. Okay, I did not know what this distribution is and what yeah. test can be applied on it. So I kept learning. Like I, I just intuitively thought that if I were to visualize this kind of data, what one transformation I need. So I yeah. went back, read about it, saw your videos. Yeah, on PCA, UMAP, uniform manifold like approximation and projection, and then I. Visualized and try to gain insights from what the data tells me. Okay. And once it kind of uh, showed a good uh, inclination towards my hypothesis, I went ahead ahead for different techniques. So, yeah, I just proceeded like learn, apply, learn, apply. So it was like learn,
0: visualize, and then once you can visualize what's going on, you had a better sense of what the next steps were to do. Exactly. Oh, fantastic. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's what I always tell people. And they're like, what What do I, sh- what should I do? And I go visualize, you know, so try to graph it, try to plot it, do whatever it takes. So you can exactly. look and see um, what the data look like.
1: Yeah, because uh, two of the features that I really, uh, that, that kind of clicked, the uh, clicked and lit the bulb in my head was uh-huh. if, when I plotted create kinase versus one of the other features that I had. Uh-huh. And the gray area, or the people falling under them or the patients falling under the area of mid-range ejection fraction, they were not isolated how you would how you would imagine on a linear scale of ejection fraction. Okay. They were evenly spread out. So I made a hypothesis that maybe it's just maybe it's just the flaw of a metric. Yeah. Because metric makes us visualize it in a linear scale. Yeah. And those people do not lie on a linear scale. So can we <laughs> classify? Yeah. So can we classify? And I converted it into a binary classification problem, and ran some uh, semi-supervised validation, and it worked.
0: Oh, that's fantastic.
1: So that, that was one of the preliminary things I did, uh, and that's how it just kickstarted by itself. I was like, okay, this is it. I feel I'm good at it. I'm gonna continue doing this.
0: Okay. Okay. So you're in your third year. What's next?
1: So basically, I I can, uh, so I was also. Quite a lot uh, oriented towards applying what I've learned, as I've okay. mentioned. So I try to convert this whole research into an actual application that can be used in India. So India okay. is not very heavy on your use of EHRs or electronic health records. So I try to build a product where, where you can build an EHR on fly. You can load all the patient data on there. And all these AI algorithms are going to run on back end on those patient data. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give recommendation to the clinicians that probably, hey, you should look at this. This is what I suggest. So I'm not doing anything. It's just suggesting. Yeah. Uh huh. Sure. Hey, probably you should look at this. So yeah. it's kind of a suggestion, and um, that that idea went into another hackathon. We did not win it, but when it, I mean we did not end up winning the hackathon, but we ended up in uh, top four finalists at okay. Microsoft Imagine Cup.
0: And how many participants were in that? Uh, probably more than
1: a thousand, I guess.
0: Woo! Top was- four is pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. So you're you were like. You not only do you enjoy hackathons, you, ex- you there, it's like something about it like
1: Yeah I mean, you know,
0: fires you up in a in a very creative and productive way. Like maybe maybe for you the pressure of like get it done in the next twenty four hours or forty eight hours or however much time you're given is exactly what you need. You need that like yes that time constraint and all of a sudden you can focus all your creativity and all of your energy and, and bam, get yeah, it done.
1: I mean, one thing, one mindset that has really helped me in doing that is I don't think about the outcome. Okay. I just do uh, evidence-based stepping. I mm-hmm. step if I have good enough evidence to move ahead. Yeah. And as I see it, I keep moving ahead and somehow the product just finishes itself and <laughs> something out.
0: Yeah. Well, so it sounds like it sounds like you enjoy the sort of the quest, the journey of I'm not gonna. This isn't gonna be predetermined outcome. I'm gonna see what the where the data takes me. It's almost like a like a like a detective, right? Yes. Where you're just gathering clues and and it could lead to anything, and you don't want to like you don't want to. Make a decision before you have the data and before you see what's going on. And yes, and that's that sounds that sounds very healthy.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a yeah. sense, uh, that has really. I mean, that's one thing that a lot of uh, companies, when they're hiring for data scientists, they want to look for because okay. in business, I mean, f- apart from academics, one thing that I've seen is uh, people are more obsessed with the method- methodology sure. and outcome yeah. rather than the impact it makes.
0: Yeah. What you just said right there, let's repeat it because I think it's one of the most important things that can be said right now, especially in the field of ml data science AI statistics let's can you just say it one more time
1: sure. I mean I would uh rephrase it like people are people get more obsessed with the methodology and the outcome rather than the impact the outcome causes.
0: That's amazing. That's I feel like that's so true. People are like, "Oh, what method are you using?" "Well, I'm using this super fancy neural network." Exactly. Oh, that's really cool. And you're like, "No, no, no, no. It's not about the method. It's about the outcome." Yeah. And sometimes sometimes that fancy neural network is the right thing to get us the outcome that we need. And that and 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 when that's the case, we need to use that fancy thing. But sometimes it's a logistic regression. Sometimes it's K nearest neighbors. Sometimes it's like the most simple method that's gonna have the most
1: impact. And uh, let me give you an example here. So uh, what I mean by this is, uh, if you go to a very enthusiastic, if, if, let's say we have a very enthusiastic team of data scientists and analysts and uh-huh. email engineers. they are, yeah. So somehow I would, I don't know if it's appropriate to say they are seduced by the technology they have.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: They, they they are completely locked in what they're doing and they believe in it. And in all good faith, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah. But let's say you're using something, you're using a neural net based method called TabNet. Yeah. You train it, it takes a lot of time to train. And on top, of, on the other hand, you have a simple tree based method, let's say XGBoost yeah. or random for yeah. The training time of the two is wildly different. Yeah. And let's say you are able to get 5% more accuracy on the other part. On tablet because it's a deep neural network and it's a better methodology and yeah. you get end up getting better results, but I think being in industry and solving problems for real world, you need to include other factors as well like cost. Yeah, how much it costs for me to train tablet? It yeah. needs GPU, it needs more time. Probably yeah. the probably the cloud compute that you're using might end up ended up costing thousand dollars, which you might not save by having that five percent. That's right.
0: That's right. That five percent may not. Uh, compensate for the extra uh, time. Time is a big factor. Money is a big factor. We need to keep track of both those things. And sometimes it's better to, to sacrifice a little bit of accuracy or something like that. If, if it means we can, uh, save time, save money. And just like with any model, uh, I think a lot, what people also forget is that it's not just about the initial training it's about maintaining that model exactly. and retraining it every so often. And if you have something that's really expensive and really time consuming to train, you're not going to want to like update it every month or every couple of weeks exactly. or whatever, because it's going to be too expensive.
1: Yeah. The time to production, the maintenance that goes in the amount of, uh, learning for different teams. So let's say, mm-hmm. the development team needs has a higher learning curve for a method, even though it's better. So we tend to trade off, trade it off for, uh, underperforming model, if it ha- if it does not require a lot of uh, different infrastructure to be pulled in, a lot of different teams taking a lot more time to bringing it to production. So I think those are mo- most of the things that companies are looking for data scientists who understand. Yeah. I'm just having very good grasp on theory.
0: Yeah, and they, they don't just wanna use the latest greatest, they wanna use the tool that's gonna to solve the problem. Yes. And that could be the latest greatest, but it could also be something no. much simpler.
1: So in a sense, in a sense, a good data scientist I would be I would say is not the one who not only they understand the theory, fundamentals, mm-hmm. methodologies, the different uh, algorithms that are out there, because mm-hmm. somehow the open community and open source has democratized a lot of different algorithms to be used by people who don't know much about theory. Mm-hmm. So that does not sets you apart. What sets you apart is how you can translate a business problem into a maths problem. Mm-hmm. And then use those tools in the most optimal way to solve without incurring a lot of costs.
0: Yes, I love it. I love it. Well, um, can you tell us a little bit what, about what you're doing now? Now that you're, uh, now that you're a data science at Delivery, um, what are the kind of things you're doing now? So
1: most of the things that we do, so the business is simple. You take a box from one place and you send it to the other place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Super simple. There yeah. could be no, no
1: complications to that. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> so most of the work that goes in uh, logistics has to uh-huh. do, has to strongly correlate with opti- uh, optimization research. Okay. So there are a lot of um, MILPs mixed integer linear programming problems, that kind of approach is used to optimize the facility location, to optimize uh, the rider assignment, who is going to deliver which packet where and okay. how many packets at once. So assignment, load assignment, facility location, and vehicle routing. For all these uh, kind of stuff, MILP is still the best approach because you can explain it. Because okay. it's a, it's not a black box, it's a white box.
0: Okay. there I'm are going to be... I'm going to be honest. I don't really know much about optimization right now. So I'm just going to like, maybe let me see if I can see if I understand what you're saying you're talking about. So there are some, I guess these are relatively old methodologies for optimization that you can use to figure out everything from where things should be warehoused to how many packages each deliverer should be taking. Um, And and that's what those are some of the tools you're using right now. Are these, are these maybe not state of the art, but relatively tried and true, simple tech technique, excuse me, relatively simple that are explainable. Some methods like neural networks these days are like black boxes and it can be difficult to understand why it's making a decision or why it Mm -hmm. says we should do this thing. So you're using these explainable things so you can understand and make choices and decisions based on that
1: yes so oh, to perfect. put it simply into a single sentence you yeah. have let's say x variables x number yeah. of variables you form a linear uh, equation out of it you okay. form a linear programming problem out of it and then okay. either you maximize it or minimize it
0: okay that's that's all no problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs>
0: that's all simplifying I... it I think I need to do a stack quest on these things.
1: For <laughs> oh, sure, it would really help a lot
0: of people. <laughs> yeah. So
1: now where I'm using uh, machine learning, it's mostly statistical machine learning because okay. we have tabular data here. Mm-hmm. Now, I would not uh, directly talk about the problem, but rather I would take an analogy to explain oh, like sure. what kind of problems we are solving. So one of the problems that is, re- that is really interesting to solve is Let's say you have an ice cream business. Okay. And you have opened your ice cream stalls in 10 different cities. Okay. At the most crowded places, that would be the first place you would want to go. Mm-hmm. How do you know uh, how many ice creams each ice cream parlor needs to sell optimally? So let's say the ice cream stall A is selling 70 uh, ice creams a day. Okay. Is that optimal or can we improve how do you benchmark that because it will be the problem will look like okay in in city a let's say in california you're selling 100 a day but in new york you're selling only 70 a day so is this a function of the city or can we do better in new york because we are selling 100 in california
0: yeah uh, that makes sense Uh, so for example maybe in new york it's colder and people don't want as much ice cream but maybe in sunny california where it's, you know, they're in LA and it's hot and they're like, oh, I need an ice cream. So maybe you're just going to sell more because of the climate differences. And you could maybe put a lot of effort into trying to sell more in, in, in New York, but you may not get much return because right. you've kind of saturated the amount of ice cream people right. can eat there.
1: Now let's complicate the problem a little bit. You You yep. don't make your own ice cream. You buy it from some third party so okay. you have hundred different flavors, hundred different bl- brands. Oh, I say. So probably the client mix is different. That's yeah. why the issue is coming. Yeah. Every day you have a different person selling the ice cream.
0: Yeah.
1: A little Some bit more. Some people are friendlier
0: than others. <laughs>
1: Some people might not want to sell where the previous person was selling. They yeah. might want to put it in another block. Yeah. So uh, you see how this can be directly mapped to logistics.
0: So many variables, yes, so many variables now yeah. two problems
1: come yeah. first problem is how do you benchmark it? Second, if it is not meeting that benchmark, then why the cause the causality what's the causality? yeah so this is a very interesting problem that we are trying to solve because the business needs to understand whether the performance in that specific area for that unit is good or not. yeah, if not, how can we drive that up? yeah. You do that, you instantly help business grow and optimize their costs and efforts putting uh, being put into that unit. So how we are solving it, you take all the variables, you get a good enough data set because see, modeling is not the center of it. Okay. In, again, I will say how you translate business problem to a mathematical problem, how you find good enough proxies for the data you don't have.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: How do you estimate different variables empirically and substitute it for something that you don't have. Because yeah. more more than often, you'll be able to map your problem, but you won't have good enough data.
0: That's right. Yes. Get, I feel like that 99% of data science is trying to get good data.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I think most of the work and the mental rigor that goes into that is figuring out how can we solve with the limited data that we have. Or how can mm-hmm. we substitute and get better proxies for the things that we don't have. And what reasonable assumptions we can make yeah with that fall within a tolerable threshold of error that we are accepted uh, that is admissible, so what we did is we simply take a nice good data set, you have all your variables in people, people, places they have been in past, some historical figures, how you plan that city, how you map that city mm-hmm. We use, uh, it's an open public thing called Uber H3 Hexagon. You try to create feature out of it that each individual locality, whether this this locality likes ice cream or not, this locality likes ice cream or not, how much ice cream I've sold in this locality, whether I've visited this locality in the past or not, and how the people have been in response to it, whether these people order more ice cream, expensive ones, what brands do they like? Mm-hmm. What brands, after eating once, they have never came back to us. Probably the brands that I'm buying from, I need to get rid of some of the brands because they are bringing RMS down. Yeah. So all of those factors you turn into features, and we it's a it's a it's not a it's not a very standard approach. This is a very mm-hmm. hacky way to do things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you train a tree-based model out of it. It understands the pattern how the ice cream has been sold where. And it gives it understands the patterns of client mix ice flavor mix, people number of ice cream sold frequency of it, and then we do sharply analysis on top of it,
2: okay okay, which is a
1: game theoretic approach. It tells yes. you how much each feature contributes towards that prediction mm-hmm. The big assumption that we make here is model is good the data it's trained on was optimal, yeah. And then you simply compare it with current rate and you can kind of get some directional inputs where the improvement needs to be made and what benchmarks to set.
0: Okay. So uh, um, just a quick question. So how do you, I mean, if you're going to assume that your data is optimal, how do you, how do you know you're at least in the ballpark
1: of that? So for that, we, uh, that's, the, that's another myth that a lot of people who are trying to get into data science have. That it's all about modeling. It's not. Modeling is just 10% of it.
0: That's right. So yeah. you
1: do a lot of exploratory analysis. Okay. You have a hypothesis. Let's say I say affluence affects sale of ice cream. Yeah. How affluent that area is. If people are rich, they're going to buy uh, more expensive ice creams. So I made that uh, hypothesis. Now I go back, I look at my sales, six six months of historical sales, and I try to see what rich localities are there and whether that correlates with increase in average order value. Okay. If that's true, it's a good indicator, and let's include it.
0: Yes. Oh, I get it. I get it. I see see what you're doing. I see how... So for each, you come up with hypotheses of like, what do I think would affect ice cream sales? Then you can test each one, and the ones that come out as positives, you include that in your model. And the ones that don't say like, um, t shirt color, uh, that didn't correlate with with different ice cream choices or anything. So you're like, well, we're going to get rid of that variable. And we're just going to use these essential Mm -hmm. variables and, and use that as sort of the gold standard.
1: Well, let's say Josh was selling the ice cream, so we made a million dollars. So that can be strongly correlation. Strong correlation. <laughs> I think the problem, if I
0: was selling the ice cream, I'd eat all the ice cream. <laughs> 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 well, Achal, I want to thank you very much for uh, being on the podcast and giving us not just one nugget of wisdom, but several throughout. Um, and I want to also want to congratulate you on all your successes so far. Yes. It's It's amazing what you've been able to accomplish um and anyways i just want to thank you and um yeah and with that
1: thank you so much for having me on your podcast and i don't know I, i'm doing it for the first time so i don't know what it, did, i did right or what i did wrong if you my did everything right. was good enough for people to understand for the audience and i'm sorry oh. if it is not
0: oh come on you were great fantastic uh we i mean the important thing is i think we all learned a lot and that's That's why we're here. That's the quest.